this dog had not had one pet finder hit in a year. And we put up your photo, and now we have a list of people having applications in. I'm Phil Hatterman, and this is Dog Words, presented by Rosie Fund. Today, photographer Penny Adams tells us about the difference she's making in the lives of shelter animals and how you can, too. If you're new to Dog Words, in each episode, we explore the world of dog care and companionship. We Save Each Other is the motto of Rosie Fund, which simply means the more we do for dogs, the more they do for us, and they already do a lot. If you love dogs, you'll love Dog Words. We welcome your comments, questions, and suggestions. Go to the podcast page at rosiefund.org to share your thoughts. Please download, follow, rate, and most importantly, share Dog Words. Celebrate five years of Rosie Fund by supporting our campaign to sponsor 50 dogs. You can donate on our website or Facebook page. You can also contribute by making a purchase from the store on our website, buying a t-shirt at bonfire.com, or buying our note cards and shirts on barkyours.com. Links are in the description. Your donations and purchases help fund the Rosie Life Starter Kits that make sure these senior and harder-to-adopt dogs have some of the items they'll need in their forever home. Please follow Rosie Fund on social media. Subscribe to the free Rosie Fund YouTube channel that offers great videos of Rosie, Peaches, and Shelter Dogs, including some exclusive content, like the wonderful KC Pet Project dog featured in our latest post. Next time on Dog Words, authors and entrepreneurs Karen Gaines and Robbie Small introduce us to the Doggy Door Chronicles. The mission of Rosie Funds to provide humans with the resources and education they need to give senior and harder-to-adopt dogs a better life. We thank you for joining our mission. Today on Dog Words, we are joined from Franklin, Tennessee by photographer Penny Adams. Penny, welcome to Dog Words. Thank you so much. You give of your time and your talent. Clearly, photography is your talent. Your website will be linked in the description for this episode, and people can see for themselves, pennyadams.com and also your Facebook page, show that you spend a lot of time photographing animals. Is that just part of your professional endeavors, or is that a way of uh, perhaps giving back, Penny? I'd say it's it's a little all of the above. Anytime you can combine your passions of photography and your love for pets into one occupation, you're living the dream. I tell listeners all the time that if you love dogs or anything related to animal welfare or whatever your passion is, you don't have to start a rescue group if that's not in your skill set or your passion, because then it's just going to wear you down, frustrate you, drain you, and you ultimately are going to accomplish very little. But if there's something that you think, well, this is just a niche, or maybe they don't need a lot of what I have to offer, but this is what I love to do, you will find opportunities to share that skill, that passion, if it's something that you enjoy. That's absolutely correct. Many years ago when I started this adventure, I mean, I didn't start out on a journey of of becoming a pet photographer. I photographed people for many years. I worked as a photo editor for a website that did screensavers. I did a lot of landscape and travel photography and was influenced by a lot of really amazing photographers. But the one thing that I've always come back to is the passion for animals. I'm a cat person, but I love dogs as well. And I had 
a wonderful opportunity at my workplace a few years back where we had a take your dog to work day fundraiser. And we all were submitting ideas of ways that we could give back to the local rescue. So for that day, I, I set up in a conference room, like a little photo studio and photographed coworkers' dogs and raised money. And then the one thing that the happenstance was the person from the rescue, which was friends of the Cleveland Kennel up in Ohio, she brought in a pit bull, which I didn't have a lot of experience with at that time. You know, I'd been exposed to all the common things you hear about on the news. And Mm -hmm. now this dog couldn't have been friendlier. It had the biggest smile. And so I had this background and she asked, would I mind photographing this dog? It was basically there because it had had a bad history of being abused as a puppy. And so I was like, of course I'll photograph this dog. It took two seconds. And uh, I think we raised like 600 bucks doing photos. The the amount of money that they could use that that went for was great for the, for the rescue. Mm -hmm. But she came back a couple weeks later and she said, Penny, I've got to tell you something. This dog had not had one pet finder hit in a year. And we put up your photo, and now we have a list of people have applications in. Actually, I mean, to screen who gets the dog. Yeah, they have wow. to screen who gets the dog. And, and she said, I, I just don't know how to thank you. And I was like, well, that, that was super easy. <laughs> and the photo wasn't, I mean, it was so straightforward. It was just on a plain background. And, but the dog had the biggest smile. At the same time in my life, I was not playing soccer anymore, and wanted something to do with my time. So I started giving my time to different rescues doing these photos. And the more I photographed them, the faster they got adopted. And it was like a light bulb went off in my head. You say that uh, the picture of that pity was nothing special and nothing special for you, that it wasn't a photo shoot where you have, you know, a whole bunch of lighting set up and outfit changes and stuff. But you just from your experience, know this is a good angle. This is the right lighting for this dog. Even if you weren't consciously thinking of how to light the dog based on its type of fur and color of fur, your eye is going to catch the best way to show this dog's personality. And someone without your experience, it's going to be a lot harder for them to put those pieces together. Yeah. I mean, I didn't know anything about the dog's personality. I just knew, Hey, here's a happy dog Mm -hmm. had peanut butter. (laughs) That always helps. Dog was happy for that. It was a really straightforward shoot and it literally took five minutes to do, but it changed that dog's life forever. And And it's not in front of a kennel or in a dark hallway. Exactly. That's different from a lot of shelter and rescue groups, online representation of their available pets it's just so sad. And I don't fault the people working no. in the shelters of the rescue because they have limited time, limited resources, limited experience, and probably someone there who's trying to adopt a dog or drop off a dog that they don't have time to set up and really give this the attention that presents the dog in the best way. Yeah. I mean, it was a game changer for me as a photographer because I had very little understanding of the sheltering world. I mean, I, I mean, I knew of rescues and I knew of city kennels and I knew they didn't have resources, but I think it was so overwhelming other than throwing money at the situation, which of course money is always good. It never occurred to me 
that photography would be a game changer. And so it wasn't until I really started diving in and seeing people starting to come in or seeing engagement on social media, which was fairly new at that time, to really see the impact of how these photos were affecting these animals. And so I eventually moved back down to my hometown in Nashville and picked up where I left off and started donating my time to cat rescues and to the local animal shelter who didn't even have a Facebook page at that point. It was, it was overwhelming. And quite honestly, my fears at the time was I didn't want to donate my time to the shelter because I was honestly afraid to be too sad. I didn't want to photograph a cat on a Monday thinking that it wasn't going to be around on a Friday. Right. And at that time, I mean, that was a realistic expectation because the euthanasia rate was I think 82% for cats. And so it's like, I just didn't want to get invested in it. But I went in one day, the, the director had asked at the National Metro Animal Control. She said, I wish you could do for us what you do for this cat rescue. And so I went in and, and photographed 12 cats. And it took me maybe two hours. Unbeknownst to me, these cats had been there maybe two months, some shorter periods of time. But in the middle of summer, 12 cats is nothing. I mean, you know there's so many more in the back. Mm-hmm. And so I did the photos. They didn't have a Facebook page at the time, but I put them up on mine. And just through guerrilla marketing was spreading word of mouth. I said, hey, here are these cats. And within two weeks, every one of those cats had gotten a home. And so I was like, aha, okay. Well, how could I not go back? Yes. So, that started a long journey and of uh, it became addicting, quite honestly. Yeah, your fear of heartbreak is turned into almost a, an addiction to the good that you're doing, the good feeling that you get from knowing that you're making a difference. Like, how can I not go take pictures? Right. In fact, um, <laughs> it went from one day a week to I'm at the cat rescue for three days a week and then going to the animal shelter three days a week. And then uh, I got a call to help out Williamson County Animal Center for a project. And then I started going there one day a week and then it became an everyday thing. And suddenly now it's a career. I mean, it's just been so exciting. And the best part has been to have people come up to me years later and they say, I adopted my pet because of your photos or this dog had the best life because he was discovered from this picture. And it's like, as an artist, that was something that, you know, was never ever thought of as a way that, you know, in in art college, it was always like, you you can have a gallery show, not you can save lives. (laughs) So it sounds pretentious, but it's true and it's important. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. yeah, People don't go into uh, photography or, or the arts to save lives. But, but that's exactly what you're doing. And not to be overlooked is the shelter not having a social media presence. Yes. So if, if, you, if your local shelter or rescue group either doesn't have a social media presence or their website is just a hot mess and you have the skills to help them with that, they don't want their website to be a hot mess. The reason they're not on social media is not because they're philosophically opposed to it. It's either because they don't have anyone there who can do it or they just don't have the time. So someone who has the skills to do that, 
if you're not taking photographs, do this. And then someone who's taking photographs has somewhere to post them. Looping back around to the shelter in Nashville, something fun happened. To me, I think anybody that volunteers or, or works at a shelter, it's like a domino effect. You take one piece out and it will affect so much more. So for instance, at that shelter, myself and some other photographers started donating our time. And within a year, the euthanasia rate for cats, I know specifically, had gone down to 40%. And now, eight years later, I, I'm not there doing photos anymore. It's, it's just because I'm with Williamson County now. But that shelter now is considered no-kill. And I know for a fact that that started from getting the messaging out to the community. Like if they see just like my original fear, like the biggest fear people have with shelters, I think is they don't want to be sad Mm -hmm. and the animals aren't broken. They're wonderful. They just need to be presented properly. And when I say it's a domino effect, so if the dogs don't get walked, somebody's not there to volunteer their time to walk that dog. Then by the time, it comes to me to photograph it, it's going to be crazy pants. Yes. And it's also going to be crazy pants if somebody comes in to look at it. And so if I can't get somebody to come in to look at the animal, then it's not going to get it. It's adopted. So it's, it's a full circle. I don't know if you have any uh, data, either quantitative or even just anecdotal on this. In addition to adoption rates, I would bet there's more volunteers when you have good photographs, a good online presence, that makes it more likely for someone to say, I want to be involved. I want to help this dog. I already have as many dogs as I can handle, but this dog is just too sweet and too beautiful, or this cat is too precious to not get help. So I'm going to volunteer and help these cats and dogs. Yes, I can't adopt them all. (laughs) Everybody says, if I win the lottery, I want to create a sanctuary. And I said, well, how many litter boxes are you going to have in that sanctuary? And you can't adopt them all, but Mm -hmm. you can inspire others to follow and, and, you know, come in the door. That's my hope. For the shelters that have little resources, it doesn't take a ton of money. There's a wonderful website. It's called One Picture Saves a Life. The photographer, Seth Castile, who is the genius behind the Underwater Dogs uh, series, if you're familiar with that series of calendars and uh, maybe the photos that you've seen on social media, that website's wonderful for people who aren't photographers, that maybe they love taking pictures and they just need some insight as to what lighting is best or Mm -hmm. what lens to use or what shutter speed to use. There's a lot of videos on there. I'd always tell people at the local shelters around here, if there's something that I can do to help kickstart your photo program, then please let me know. I'll also link to that in the description for this episode. And someone who has experience with photography, whether they're a professional or just a high quality amateur, that's great. But even if you just have a smartphone, Yes. Now more than ever with iPhones, especially in low light situation. I mean, it just, you just need to know the tools of angles Mm -hmm. and lighting, basic lighting. And you get some beautiful photos with your iPhone. And just to tap on your touch screen on your subject so that it's focusing on the right thing and adjusting for that light. I can't believe how many people don't know that when they're taking a photo at, uh, you know, 
a party or a ball game or something and it just looks awful. All you had to do is tap on your subject. It's adjusting the lighting for the background or the foreground or right. something other than your subject. Just little things like that can make it so much better, let alone some of the finer points of photography that once you take a few photographs, you'd be amazed how much of a difference it makes just to have those skills. And even if you don't, if it's still a better photo than what the dog has or cat, or in some cases, none at all. I see so many times on shelter websites where the photo is clearly at intake. Yes, you have this new animal, here's the, the picture, cat. and they haven't had a bath. They're just covered with fleas, look all stressed out. Their coat is matted. People might look at that and have empathy for the animal, but I think it limits the population of those who are going to look at it and say, I want that in my home. Yes, and with respect to adoption photos in particular, they need to have even more of an impact because the competition now, looking at sites like PetFinder, the photo quality has actually gone up considerably, but you're also viewing them on a device that's small. So if the dog or the cat is taking a small part of the image, like they've got a ton of background in, then you're not going to captivate the viewer and engage them into clicking on it. Someone would take years to get the experience you have, Penny, but are there just simple things that you see amateur photographers doing that if you could just give them a little bit of advice would improve their uh, shelter photos? Absolutely. I would say first thing is get low to the animal's eye level. Turn off your flash on your phone or you have a, a flash on your camera Use natural light, have the light behind you directed towards the pet. Get to know the pet. Mm -hmm. You want them basically tired and hungry, find whatever motivates them. So whether it's a cat or dog, they're going to either be treat motivated or toy motivated. If you are knowledgeable about cats, take a minute, let them smell you up and down and Let them feel secure. If you feel anxious, they're going to pick up on that. Absolutely. And with dogs, again, get low. But also don't be afraid to explore different perspectives. So if you are shooting with your phone, throw it on portrait mode. So you're not seeing a ton of the background. But be conscious of your background. So if you're photographing a dog, make sure that there's not something growing out of their head. (laughs) Yes. Do a little pre-Photoshop and pick up the extra stuff on the ground or on the floor. If you're in a foster home, make sure you pick up that extra sock that's laying around or clean litter box for heaven's sakes. (laughs) I like to use contrasting elements. You can photograph a black cat or a black dog, but maybe it might show up better on a lighter background or a bright background, colorful. There's a great website too called Adoptimize that even if you have a cell phone, it'll it'll replace your background with whatever color you want to use. And that just Um, makes it look so much more professional and makes mm -hmm. a difference. You'd like to think that adopters are uh, not taking that into account, but anything that brings a focus to the animal that is not going to distract from the animal. So you talk about you pick up the sock at the, at the fosters like, well, yeah, but who's going to be so shallow as to be focusing on the sock? It's a distraction. 
and Listen, the things you can control, control them. When you were buying your house, you looked at mm-hmm. all the stuff. If it smelled funky, you weren't mm-hmm. going to live there. Well, when <laughs> so we bought same. our house, there were so many houses that did not make it on our list for a visit because the photos were so awful. Here's the master closet. It's like, yeah, your master closet stacked with piles of clothes. You couldn't have just moved those into another room to take the photo? Yeah. If it's not important for you to take that extra step, then it says something about the pet too. Mm-hmm. Being conscious of body language even. I mean, if if the cats, for instance, I think are harder to photograph for people because you've got to earn that trust from yes. that cat. If you've got airplane ears and the tail's tucked and he's crunched to the ground, he's going to look like a fearful cat in the photo. And if that comes across to a potential adopter, they're going to pass. You want the pet to look approachable, friendly. I say that all the time to people about get low with the dogs. You get so many photos of the dog looking up at you. We're not really seeing the dog. We're just seeing this straight on down of it looking up and you get low. It's like, now you can see the dog's body, its personality. You're on its level. Well, yeah. I mean, and even if you have like a pit bull, if you photograph it from a certain angle, it might look more oppressive. Mm -hmm. So sometimes shooting in different perspectives and showing that variety shows that animal in a way that people can imagine. You want people to imagine that pet in their backyard or on their couch. Mm -hmm. The tip I would throw out is curate your photos. You're yes, taking your pictures with a digital camera or a smartphone, and you have an almost limitless number of photos you can take of this animal, and you can find the best ones. You don't have to say, we need four or five photos, so I'm going to take four or five, and then we're going to move on to the next animal. If you're really wanting to help the dog and the cat, take the time and then curate what you have and learn from that, that, okay, next time I, I need to pay more attention to lighting or angles or or other things i would echo that i can't tell people enough that yes pet finder allows six photos or five photos in a video if you've only got two really really good photos mm-hmm. let those two speak for that animal because you don't want to dilute those photos down with terrible yeah blurry yucky photos yeah and they're probably looking at it on a screen that's the size of a playing card Yeah, my, aside from photography background, my social media background has played in a critical role of helping shelters as well, as far as you're not just a photographer anymore, you're now a videographer, a music video artist on Mm -hmm. TikTok, you're on Snapchat using goofy filters. I mean, you basically are creating an entertaining experience with dogs and cats. I mean, (laughs) how awesome is that? Yeah. But anything that creates engagement to get folks sharing on the shelter pages, that's really the goal in getting people to come in. Let's be honest. You are competing with other content out there. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Other shelters or breeders. And things Um, completely unrelated. Someone may be scrolling through their Facebook feed. You want to get their attention before they get to some news feed that's going to get them all worked up and they forget they were even looking at pets. Right. Some people say, oh, well, I'm not a photographer. I always tell people photography is a lot like cooking. Everybody's a cook at home, but sometimes you have to, you go and you, you go and there's chefs. So everybody starts with the same chicken, but we all add our own spices and 
different things to do to make it suit our taste to fit, to make it appetizing. So that's how I would look at photographing animals. Not that they're appetizing, but. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But you start with the same basic ingredients. Yes. You're starting with the same ingredients of an animal and you do what you can to make that animal be its best self for that day. And don't overthink it. Yeah. For that day, if you can get them, photograph dogs after they've been walked, get that excess energy out, or maybe they've had playtime. That helps. If you have high value treats, I love using peanut butter or things like, um, like roasted turkey, something that's really special. They're not going to just sit for the average dog biscuit. Some of the dogs that I photograph may have little experience with leashes and you can do all you can do, but you can't Photoshop out pancake dog. Yes. So, or, and, or and maybe you have a scarf or a uh, kerchief or something to, to throw yep. on the dog to make it look a little cuter or more relatable. But if the dog's not having it, don't force it. Just because you thought it was a good idea. If the dog doesn't agree, then move on. Right. Meet it on its right. terms. Make it look good. With bios that uh, some shelters do, I appreciate creative writing. I'm also a professional writer. But if you're using a bunch of forced analogies and metaphors from like a uh, young adult fantasy book series, because <laughs> I see that all the time, and the 50-year-old couple doesn't get any of your references, that's not going to help move the dog. Yeah. Again, don't overthink it. Yeah, it's funny. Even what, what you name the pet has a big impact. Oh, oh my gosh. Socials will use names <laughs> that people are going to have trouble pronouncing. And if you're not sure how to pronounce a name, I think that's going to make it less likely to ask to see the dog. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah. because a lot of times it will be a theme that you'll see a bunch of animals that are named after Harry Potter characters oh, or God. what is a, a popular TV series right now. Yeah. And so they'll, they'll have a theme. And well, that's okay if it doesn't undermine the relatability of the dog, that people are going to be distracted by that or not know how to pronounce it, or these are your favorite characters from Renaissance French literature. (laughs) Just give it a dog name, give it a cat name, and let people rename it if they want to. You'll probably find this fun. I I was just telling somebody yesterday, I think, I think there should be a swear jar anytime somebody uses the word sweet in a descriptive Every animal is sweet. <laughs> I just need to come up with something unique. And I'm but, guilty because I, I guarantee you probably in the intro for this episode, as in last week's, I say, and check out the YouTube channel for Rosie Fun, where we have the latest video of a Sweet Casey Pet Project dog that's available. Mm-hmm. But they are sweet. I know they I can are. say that because every video we post is of a sweet dog. But yeah, as far as a... Uh, a descriptor in a bio that doesn't differentiate just to say they're sweet because they're also sweet. So yeah, <laughs> get us the forest people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I'm a big fan of the, uh, I can't remember which shelter did it, but the animal descriptors that were this Chihuahua is a terror. <laughs> <It's> mm-hmm. a- <laughs> well, I think it's important to be honest. And we tried to do that with the videos that we do for the dogs that we feature on Rosie fund, setting them up for success the staff will tell us what challenges a dog has and then we'll frame that so that it gets the appropriate 
adopters looking at it. So a dog that is going to leap over a fence, if you have a four-foot fence, this dog is getting out. Well, let people know you need to have a six-foot privacy fence. This dog is very excitable, but if you have the right property or if you have an acreage, this is the home that this dog needs. So a chihuahua that's a terror, I guarantee you, there are people out there looking for a chihuahua that's a terror. That yep. they've had a chihuahua that just had a ton of personality, and they love that. And boy, this sounds like that kind of dog. That's what I want. I can't tell you how many cats I've marketed to say that they're really sassy or divas. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Somebody comes in and they're just like the cat. <laughs> yeah. They get it. The photography, the bio that needs to accurately describe what the dog is, don't oversell something that you think is just going to get it out the door because those are the pets that get neglected or brought back. You want to make sure that it's the right fit. And I also love that analogy of a chef because not only are you working with the same ingredients and you just maybe are a little better if you're more experienced, but also you are a chef as a photographer. You are not just someone who can cook. You can be dropped into pretty much any situation, whether it's landscape photography, portrait photography, you name it. And even if it's not something that you have a wealth of experience in, you're going to produce a good photograph because you're a professional photographer. But someone taking pictures of shelter animals, they're not going to need to have that skill set. They just need to be good at one thing, like the person who doesn't really know their way around the kitchen, but with your chicken dish, they have this great family recipe for chicken. I know all the spices and the sauces, and this will knock your socks off, but don't ask me to make toast. I guarantee you every person that's in an animal shelter is there because they love pets. It's not because they're there because they like poop. (laughs) (laughs) Even like look at a realtor. When you have a realtor come in and they, they have a house that's got maybe a leaky roof or maybe it's haunted or maybe yes. it's, it's got some issues, they will still be creative and, and get the best angles of that home possible at the best light of day and market it with the, I mean, it, look at it that way. I mean, mm-hmm. there's always some location is a big part. So yeah, yeah, a couple of years ago, we sold our house and moved into the one we're in now. And our realtor gave us advice on what stuff to take out of the house before she brought in the professional realty photographer. And the photographs that she took, we had to question, why are we moving? This house is gorgeous. (laughs) But they didn't misrepresent the house. They just highlighted its best features. Exactly. Exactly. So that's my aim for photographing shelter animals, to get them as much visibility as possible and to also get them, if somebody can't adopt, maybe they are an influencer in a whole other field and they want to give back to their local shelter. I can't say this enough. Share. Share. You don't have to adopt. Share the social media for the shelters that Penny is helping, for Rosie Fund. That will help that dog get the exposure that will connect it with the right family. Those cats and dogs just need visibility because you can't rely on just the foot traffic that comes into a shelter or some rescue groups don't even have a brick and mortar that people can visit, Mm -hmm. that it's all online. And then you arrange for a meet and greet. And so it's all online marketing, social media, and by sharing and following, following and sharing and liking, that is of great value. It is, it's priceless. And 
I'm kind of embarrassed to say that sometimes people come up to me and they say, you photographed my dog. I don't remember them, but I sure do remember their dog. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the same way. If you take me to my local dog park, uh, Barkay here in Kansas City, I'm amazed how many dogs' names I know. Probably not one human. <laughs> it's like, that's, that's so-and-so's mom. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I know, that, I know who, who they belong to, but I don't know their name. Well, again, uh, thank you so much for taking time to share your experience, your expertise with shelter groups and with our listeners. And maybe some of them will be inspired to help with whatever talent they have. But if nothing else, just to follow Penny Adams and uh, the other groups that I'm going to link in the description for this episode and certainly Rosie Fun. Get the word out that there are wonderful dogs and cats and other shelter animals that can find their forever home if the right person just knows they're looking for it. Penny, thanks for being on Dog Words, and thank you so much for what you do. Thank you for having me, and I, I hope that inspires other artists to get involved, not even just photographers, but local artists. If you've got a skill set, go to your shelter and say, how can I help? Because I guarantee you there is something somewhere that your skill set is invaluable for that shelter. Yes, you mentioned earlier the $600 that you raised. $600 is a lot of money, but for some people you might think, well, what can a shelter do with $600? If you see the look on the face of shelter staff, if you walk in with a check for $600, Oh, gosh. Yeah. I didn't understand it then. I understand it now. Now, you know, the fundraisers that I'm part of, one this year, I've been doing these mosaic pieces where I take all the images from the shelter that I've done the year. I've been doing like one a year, and I donate to local groups. But uh, one this summer actually raised $12,000. Wow. And so the photo is basically a picture of a dog, but it uh, had thousands and thousands of thumbnails in it that created a photo mosaic. If you had asked me back when I started this, if one piece of art would raise that kind of money, I would have thought you're crazy. <laughs> but I'm just over the moon that I can take the skill set and help. And the important thing is that you started initially, you wouldn't have come up with the If you'd have just sat at your kitchen table and brainstormed, what can I do to raise $12,000? You wouldn't have come up with that mosaic idea in a million years. No. But by just getting started, you got to the point where that just organically happened. And it's taking that first step and getting involved. So, So thank you for taking that step. And listeners out there, take that first step. And thank you for being on Dog Words. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. I'm Phil Hatterman, and you've been listening to Dog Words, presented by Rosie Fund. Thank you to Penny Adams for joining us today. PennyAdams.com and other websites mentioned in the episode are linked in the description. Next time on Dog Words, authors and entrepreneurs Karen Gaines and Robbie Small introduce us to the Doggy Door Chronicles. A big thank you to alternative string duo The Wires, featuring cellist Sasha Groshong and violinist Laurel Morgan Parks, for playing the wonderful music you've heard on today's and previous episodes of Dog Words. Supporting The Wires supports our mission. Now you can join Laurel and Sasha as they explore new music and delve into the inspiration behind each work as hosts of Sound Currents, 
on 91.9 Classical KC. Click on the Sound Currents link in the description for more information. Learn more about The Wires, including their concert schedule, at thewires.info and download their music on iTunes. Check out fiddlelife.com and learn to play fiddle and cello fiddle online from Laurel and Sasha, even if you've never played before. Celebrate five years of Rosie Fund by supporting our campaign to sponsor 50 dogs. You can donate on our website or Facebook page. You can also contribute by making a purchase from the website store, buying a t-shirt at bonfire.com, or putting some of our merch in your cart when you shop at Bark Yours. Links are in the description. Your donations help fund the Rosie Life Starter Kits that make sure these senior and harder-to-adopt dogs have some of the items they'll need in their forever home. As always, please download, follow, rate, and share dog words. This helps us with sponsorships, then Rosie Fund can help more dogs. Support Rosie Fund by following us on social media, and please subscribe to the free Rosie Fund YouTube channel. Our latest post features a wonderful KC Pet Project dog looking for a forever home. Send us your comments, questions, and suggestions at rosiefund.org, and let us know if you would like to be a sponsor or a guest of the Dogwoods Podcast. Thank you for listening, and remember, we save each other.